Hello, I'm Patrick Reynolds. And I'm Michael Albany, and welcome to Sex Ed, the podcast where we take a look at the history of religious movements that fall outside the mainstream. Now, before we get into today's topic, though, we have a few bits of news that we wanted to keep you informed about. First of all, uh, as we mentioned at the start of this month, Sex Ed has launched a new Patreon campaign. So to help keep us as a self-sustaining show, we've set up a number of rewards and things for uh, people who want to donate to contribute to Sex Ed. So visit patreon.com slash sex ed if you want to learn more about the potential rewards you get for your patronage. And if you don't think that you can contribute monetarily, there are still ways that you can help us here. Uh, For example, you can head over to iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you like to go on to and leave us a rating and review. The last couple of episodes we've been covering a lot of really brutally authoritarian theocratic regimes, uh, like in the Taiping Rebellion and the the Modest State. So those can get a bit heavy. Uh, For this episode, we're going to go about as far as possible in the opposite direction with a religion that's quite laid back and uh, a lot of fun, and this is uh, Discordianism. And full disclaimer, this is a religion that I have a lot of affection for personally, so I'll try not to be preaching it uh, and just talking about it. But yeah, this was uh, a religion that I was very much into when I was around 19. Discordia came into being in the counterculture movement of the 1960s, much like the Church of All Worlds, which we covered in an earlier episode. So before you dive into this, make sure you're at least in a moderately groovy mood. Much like the Church of All Worlds, Discordia is a pretty freewheeling faith, but while the Church of All Worlds had a loose sort of structure around which it was built, Discordia does not have any sort of organized church structure for us to cover. Or perhaps you could say it has too many? Discordia is pretty hard to classify, and there's a debate about whether it can even be considered a religion, or if it's just a parody religion. Ultimately, it's both. But... Like with almost everything in Discordia, whether it is a religion or not really just depends on each person's personal definition, since Discordia focuses pretty heavily on letting the individual make up their own minds about essentially every part of the religion. That might be a bit confusing, but there's going to be a lot of that in this episode. Discordia has been described sometimes as chaos worship and The elements of chaos is very much present in the way the religion is structured, making it hard to talk about. At any rate, the religion sort of began in 1963 with the publication of a book called the Principia Discordia, which serves as the Discordian equivalent of a holy text, although, as we're going to see, they tend not to value holy texts. The Principia Discordia was written by by Malaclips the Younger and Omar Khayyam Ravenhurst, who were really two guys named Gregory Hill and Carrie Thornley after allegedly receiving a divine vision in a bowling alley. Carrie Thornley was, in many ways, a sort of archetypal 1960s counterculture author figure with uh, interest in a very wide range of esoteric, religious, and political philosophies. He'd grown up as a Latter-day Saint and had an interest that varied uh, through atheism, neo-paganism, Zen Buddhism, and most importantly, anarchism. Yeah, sort of typical of the 60s mind-expanding route that he was on, checking out all these different philosophies and experimenting and picking one up for a while and dropping it. And when Cary Thornley was in his 20s, he served in the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, And there he would befriend a strange fellow Marine named Lee Harvey Oswald, who would later go on to assassinate John F. Kennedy. And after... And Cary was actually in the process of writing a book about Lee Harvey Oswald because he was such a strange individual uh, before the assassination, as you might imagine. 
And so when Kennedy was assassinated, Kerry was brought to the attention of the FBI due to the topic of his book, um, and he actually testified in front of the Warren Commission. So this has led to a huge deluge of conspiracy theories about Kerry's early life, with rumors flying about him being an MKUltra test subject, or being a body double for Oswald, or working for aliens, and a whole host of other wild theories. Uh, and as we dig more into Discordia, we're going to see that making up, uh, believing in, or pretending to believe in conspiracy theories is itself a Discordian tradition. So there's a lot of nonsense out there. The name of the religion, Discordia, is based off the Latin name of the religion's central goddess figure, who is also known by her Greek name, Eris. In ancient Greek mythology, Eris is a goddess of chaos or strife, and she's best known for her role in the story that Discordians call the original snub. In Homer's Iliad, the story of the Trojan War begins with the gods of Olympus refusing to invite Eris to a wedding. In order to get revenge for not being invited, Eris shows up at the wedding anyway and throws a golden apple into the feast, which is inscribed Callisti, or For the Fairest. The goddesses all begin to fight over the apple, and, and they each try to prove that they are the fairest, and things snowball from there, and chaos and discord spread, and, and eventually leads to the Trojan War being fought. The golden apple inscribed with either the full Callisti or sometimes just the letter K is often used by Discordians as a symbol for their religion, usually as part of a yin-yang-inspired symbol known as the holy cow, and that's cow, C-H-O-A, the singular of chaos. While Eris is used by Discordians as a symbol of their religion and a character, the Principia Discordia readily admits that not much is known about her. This is explored in a section of the Principia Discordia entitled, What We Know About Eris, Not Much, and the not much is in parentheses. Uh, we're going to quote a segment from that chapter. The Romans left a likeness of her for posterity. She was shown as a grotesque woman with a pale and ghastly look, her eyes afire, her garment ripped and torn, and as concealing a dagger in her bosom. Actually, most women look pale and ghastly when concealing a chilly dagger in their bosoms. Her genealogy is from the Greeks and is utterly confused. Either she was the twin of Ares and the daughter of Zeus and Hera, or she was the daughter of Nyx, goddess of night, who was either the daughter or wife of Chaos or both. And Nyx's brother, Erebus, and whose brothers and sisters included death, doom, mockery, and friendship, and that she begat forgetfulness, quarrels, lies, and a bunch of gods and goddesses like that. One day, Mal too consulted his pineal gland and asked Eris if she really created all of those terrible things. She told him that she had always liked the old Greeks, but that they cannot be trusted with historic matters. They were, she said, victims of indigestion, you know. Suffice it to say that Eris is not hateful or malicious, but she is mischievous and does get a little bitchy at times. End quote. Since the creators of Discordia were pretty well versed in the emerging neo-pagan religions of the 60s, as well as groups of traditions known as New Age beliefs or Western esotericism, a lot of Discordian teachings are either adapted or outright stolen from these other faiths. Um, but Discordians also tend to add beliefs that are either a joke or contain a joke or look like they are a joke but aren't. 
The part about consulting the pineal gland is a reference to the gland in the human body which was linked in Western esotericism to the concept of the third eye. And this gland is said to have associations with giving us the ability to have dreams, to hallucinate, to process mind-expanding drugs, or to communicate with spiritual beings outside ourselves. While medical knowledge has marched on and largely disproven some of the mythical associations of the pineal gland, the Discordians themselves acknowledge in the Principia Discordia that the pineal gland thing isn't meant to be taken too seriously, saying, quote, the pineal gland is where each and every one of us can talk to Eris. If, you're having tr if you have trouble activating your pineal, then try the appendix, which does almost as well. So as you may have noticed, the Principia Discordia is full of puns, jokes, and nonsense. And a question that frequently comes up when people first encounter Discordia is, how seriously do Discordians actually take this stuff? To which the best answer is probably not very, but also it depends on the Discordian. As Discordia is strongly opposed to taking any system of belief too seriously, including itself. Again, coming out of the counterculture movement in the 1960s, there was a strong rejection of all established churches and what would have been seen as traditional values at the time, which can be best summed up by the Discordian belief in the curse of Greyface. Again, quoting from the Principia Discordia, quote, In the year 1166 BC, a malcontented hunchbrain by the name of Greyface got it into his head that the universe was as humorless as he, and he began to teach that play was sinful because it contradicted the ways of, of serious order. Look at all that order about you, he said, and from that, he deluded honest men to believe that reality was a straitjacket affair and was not the happy romance as men had known it. It is not presently understood why men were so gullible at that particular time, for absolutely no one thought to observe all the disorder around them and conclude just the opposite. But anyway, Greyface and his followers took the game of playing at life more seriously than they took life itself and were not unknown to even destroy other living beings whose ways of life differed from their own. The unfortunate result of this is that mankind has since been suffering from a psychological and spiritual imbalance. Imbalance causes frustration, and frustration causes fear, and fear makes a bad trip. Man has been on a bad trip for a long time now. It's called the Curse of Greyface. While worshipping the goddess of chaos and disorder and opposing the curse of Greyface is part of the Discordian message, their worldview goes a bit deeper than that, with the imbalance between apparent order and apparent disorder itself being what is seen as the main source of the evils of the world. The Principia Discordia describes the Eresian forces of chaos and being, and the Anaresian forces of order and non-being, and the fact that both of these are illusions springing from the human mind. Additional content from the Principia Discordia highlights the Discordian commandments and in-jokes, which will be built on by later Discordians over the years. This includes the Rule of Fives, which states, quote, All things happen in fives, or are divisible by, or are multiples of five, or are somehow directly or indirectly appropriate to five, end quote. While Discordians working after the publication of the Principia Discordia have made a point to add a lot of the number five into their work, the rule of fives works in an interesting way relating to perception and the way human beings create meanings out of perceived patterns, as it is very easy to find connections to the number five all over the place in everyday life. By believing in the rule of fives and looking for those connections, any human mind with enough creativity and motivation uh, will start finding things that appear to confirm this rule all over the place, creating what can appear to be a law of reality and thus highlighting other falsely constructed assumptions about reality that we didn't think about. 
This ties into the conspiracy theories that many Discordians engage in, as creating new worldviews by stringing together random coincidences to highlight their view of reality being subjective is a practice that some Discordians choose to engage in to this day. The five Discordian commandments are also listed in the, are also listed in the Prince of a Discordia, and these are known as the Pentabarf, which reads as follows. Quote, know ye this, O man of faith. One, there is no goddess but goddess, and she is your goddess. There is no Eresian movement but the Eresian movement, and it is the Eresian movement. And every golden apple core is the beloved home of a golden worm. Two, a Discordian shall always use the official Discordian document numbering system. Three, a Discordian is required during his early illumination to go off alone and partake joyously of a hot dog on Friday. This devotive ceremony to remonstrate against the popular paganisms of the day, of Catholic Christendom, no meat on Friday, of Judaism, no meat of pork, of the Hindic people, no meat of beef, of Buddhists, no meat of animal, and of Discordians, no hot dog buns. Four, a Discordian shall partake of no hot dog buns, for such was the solace of our goddess when she was confronted with the original snub. And five, a Discordian is prohibited from believing what he reads. So it is written, so be it, hail Discordia, prosecutors will be transgressicuted. End quote. While these commandments are obviously contradictory and paradoxical, the paradox itself is also of spiritual value to Discordians. Carrie Thornley, in particular, added into Discordia an element taken from absurdist interpretations of a specific school of Zen Buddhism, and Discordia is riddled with paradoxical and often humorous sayings based off the concept of a Zen koan. Probable intention of Discordia in this case is to exhaust the mind and to test students' understanding of Discordian teachings. This also, these uh, five commandments are pretty central to one of the few uh, gatherings of Discordians that continue to this day where uh, eating hot dogs without hot dog buns is one of the central sacraments. Uh, the last thing we'll mention from the Principia Discordia before we move on to Discordian history is the statement they make on occultism and magic. We've talked a bit about Gnostic Christianity, and we'll definitely do an episode on Kabbalah at some point in the future, but those traditions have been retooled and practiced over and over again by usually fringe groups of intellectuals in various places throughout history under a lot of different guises, including groups like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and Aleister Crowley's Thelemites. The founders of Discordia, like a lot of counterculture figures in the 60s, explored a lot of different spiritual paths and traditions, and Discordianism itself is not an exclusive religion. Like Buddhism or Hermeticism, it's perfectly acceptable to hold Discordia as one religion among many. Regarding magic and the occult, however, the Principia Discordia has this to say, quote, Magicians, especially since the Gnostic and the Kabbalah influences, have sought higher consciousness through assimilation and control of universal opposites, good-slash-evil, positive-slash-negative, male-slash-female, etc. But due to the steadfast pomposity of ritualism inherited from the ancient methods of of the shaman, occultists have been blinded to what is perhaps the two most important pairs of apparent or earth plane opposites, order slash disorder and serious slash humorous. Magicians and progeny, the scientists, have always taken themselves and their subject in an orderly and sober manner, thereby disregarding an essential metaphysical balance. When magicians learn to approach philosophy as a malleable art instead of an immutable truth and learn to appreciate the absurdity of man's endeavors, then they will be able to pursue their art with a lighter heart. 
and perhaps gain a clearer understanding of it, and therefore gain more effective magic. Chaos is energy. End quote. As a result of this outlook, Discordians have a lot of overlap with the practice of chaos magic, and it can make a lot of sense for someone to be both a chaos magician and a Discordian, but the two are not the same thing, or at least they don't have to be. Chaos magic is also heavily focused on manipulating one's own perceptions of the subjective reality, but it will probably be best to cover that later in a full chaos magic episode. Suffice it to say, for now, not all chaos magicians are Discordians, not all Discordians are chaos magicians, but some are both. While most of the sects we've covered in this podcast have a central leader guiding their development, Discordia, as you might imagine, does sort of the opposite of that after it's founded. In keeping with its anarchist roots, the highest authority figure in this religion is the individual, with every man, woman, and child on earth being considered an official Discordian pope, with the power to do the following five things. One, invoke infallibility at any time, including retroactively. Two, to completely rework the Eresian church. Three, to baptize, bury, and marry with the permission of the deceased in the latter two cases. Four, to excommunicate, de-excommunicate, re-excommunicate, de-re-excommunicate, no backsies, both his, her, it, them, your, our, her, his, it, them, your, ourself, slash selves, and others, if any. To perform all rites and functions deemed inappropriate for Pope of Discordia. Thus, if you have an issue with any of our coverage of Discordia so far, then I pronounce you excommunicated, and I also officially excommunicate myself before you can. In spite of the intentional lack of any kind of leader, there are, again, paradoxical Discordian organizations, the most notable of which is the nonprofit irreligious disorganization known as the Pantheo-Animeta-Mysticud of Eris Esoteric, a.k.a. Poe. This um, disorganization is the closest thing to orthodoxy in Discordianism, with, with the Joshua Norton cabal holding up the 19th century eccentric as their patron saint and head of their order. Joshua Norton um, was a figure from uh, the 1900s in San Francisco who was essentially a homeless person, um, and he spent all his money uh, investing in a rice business that immediately tanked. Um, and he spent the last of his, his family money uh, on an announcement in the newspapers proclaiming himself uh, Emperor of the United States. Uh, and he got a nice uh, uniform with a big fancy hat and would ride his bicycle around town issuing imperial proclamations. And he became a local celebrity and the whole city just decided to play into his delusions and treat him like the emperor. The newspapers would publish his proclamations because people were interested in them and it would sell more newspapers if they did. So he was able to just announce whatever he wanted to the whole city. Um, he would go into restaurants and again, uh, people would like to eat in places that said, oh, this is the emperor's table. He's got a spot reserved here. It was uh, something able to attract more customers. So he'd get great food at all the, the fanciest restaurants in town. Uh, he'd issue his own currency and just sort of lived this delusion and the whole city played along with it. And he's, he's held up as an example of um, a Discordian saint because his uh, version of reality, the reality that he was living in his head, was as for all intents and purposes true, that he's taken uh, his delusions and he's causing um, cognitive dissonance everywhere he goes by having everyone question their reality and live in this sort of fantasy around him. What I think is most impressive about Emperor Norton is even though he is, in one sense, 
delusional to think that he can just proclaim himself. I think the full proclamation was emperor of these United States and protector of Mexico, something like that. He picked up Um, Mexico later, yeah. Yeah, um, even though, like, that's his pronouncement, uh, he nevertheless, in sort of living that experience, became a respected figure to the point where he was actually able to command uh, lots of influence. Like, uh, there's one story that I know of Emperor Norton where basically um, a lot of the Chinese workers in San Francisco were on the point of basically rioting and there was going to be fighting in the streets between the Chinese workers and the uh, sort of Euro-American San Francisco residents and he just stood between them and held his arms out and stopped a riot before it really escalated so yep he does uh yeah he uses his his powers for good uh, as much as he can and uh yeah there's a similar story where um he was arrested once by a a new police officer in town who didn't understand that uh, you're supposed to respect the emperor and they, a mob actually showed up and broke him out of jail and uh, was on the point of attacking this officer, and he convinced them to stop, and he, he pardoned the officer uh, for his offense. But, yeah, he's, he's held up as, um, as an example of, of sort of experimenting and, and creating these conspiracy theories and believing in absurd things um, for the, the point of the absurdity, essentially. Uh, the, the sort of quote uh, the Discordians uh, say, specifically this... Uh, one of the many subsects of Discordia uh, in San Francisco, one of their slogans is, everybody understands Mickey Mouse, few understand Herman Hess, only a handful understood Albert Einstein, and nobody understood Emperor Norton. In the 60s, Discordianism stayed pretty unknown, and it was almost like an in-joke between a small but growing circle of the author's friends and acquaintances. Their activities were generally similar to any other author, artist, philosopher, or counterculture figures at the time, and the creators continued to write and explore topics related to Zen Buddhism and anarchy, both within and outside of the context of the Discordian religion, with early Discordians also practicing what might be called performance art at this point, handing out Pope cards, sending intentionally confusing letters, and generally trying to inspire people to question their reality. The group itself was also allegedly investigated further by the FBI as a result of the tenuous connection to the JFK assassination, with rumors also spreading that Discordianism was a CIA front, rumors which probably originated from within Discordian society somewhere. From the outside, Discordia would have looked like a baffling series of secret messages passed along by members of a secretive anarchist cabal. In short, they looked very, very shady, like a conspiracy themselves. So early Discordian history has a lot of paranoia and contempt for FBI, uh, with the federal government generally playing the role of Anaresian forces in Discordian mythology, representing the forces of order, while the Aresian movement, as it was then called, represented chaos. Regardless if the Eurasian movement was actually being investigated, and to what extent, investigations and arrests did happen to individual Discordians as time went on. As the 1960s ended, the dark side of the counterculture movement 
was revealed, the permissive attitudes towards sex and drugs, as well as disregard for the law, created environments that some very predatory individuals were able to use to their advantage. This was most startlingly embodied by people like Charles Manson, but Discordians had their own Manson moment when the leader of the Eurasian cabal in New Orleans, known as Fang the Unwashed, was arrested for a wide range of sex crimes. While the Principia Discordia was published as a pretty obscure underground zine in the 60s, it would be a series of fictional novels that would mark the first big introduction of Discordian ideas to the wider public. The Illuminatus trilogy was written in the late 1970s by two men named Bob, who were at the time both editors for Playboy, Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea. While fictional, the Illuminatus trilogy expands on Discordian lore and satirizes the conspiratorial mindset, weaving together a large array of conspiracies, from Satanists to the Masons to, of course, the Illuminati, with the various sinister conspiracies all working against each other and on top of each other in a way that cancels out any actual influence or significance that any of them might have had. Using the Illuminati as the central antagonist of the series, opposing a group of fictional Discordian characters, it also had the real-world effect of creating a new adversary to oppose in the real world, uh, with the various overlapping incarnations of the Illuminati from the book pretty quickly adopted by many real-life Discordians as a focus for their conspiracy theorizing and as the new face of the Anaresian movement. While the Bavarian Illuminati were briefly a group that did exist in real life, the modern idea of them as this global uh, conspiracy organization and the one that uses the eye of the pyramid as their symbol, controlling the world from behind the scenes, that's really prevalent in Discordian mythology and um, at least in part is present in pop culture because of Discordians really frequently using them as a shorthand and making uh, jokes and references to them. They certainly didn't create the Illuminati conspiracy theories, though. Uh, as editors of Playboy, the two Roberts who wrote the book would frequently receive bizarre letters to the editor from all sorts of conspiracy theorists who thought it was a good idea to write their conspiracy theory letters to Playboy. It was from these so-called crackpot letters that the fictional version of the Illuminati was created for the book, uh, with the authors operating under the premise that all of the conspiracy theories that people sent to them were true at the same time. After writing the Illuminatus trilogy, Robert Anton Wilson became esteemed by some Discordians as a saint or by various other titles that people make up. Uh, a writer and philosopher, he was known for being self-proclaimed agnostic mystic, as well as for his many pithy quotes about the nature of reality. Uh, one sentence from the Illuminatus trilogy does a really good job of addressing what is still one of the core beliefs of Discordia the point that most of their activities try to convey. Quote, is, is, is. The idiocy of the word haunts me. If it were abolished, the human thought might begin to make sense. I don't know what anything is. I only know how it seems to me at this moment. End quote. Like the original writers of the Principia Discordia, however, Wilson did not attempt to really claim leadership of the Discordian society, again, embracing the anarchy that comes naturally with Discordia. Instead, Wilson continued writing about political, religious, and philosophical topics that interested him, both inside and outside the context of Discordia, until his death in 2007. Among other projects, he advocated heavily for medical marijuana legalization and campaigned to inform the public on the concept of jury nullification, which you should all definitely read up on if you're going to be on a jury, because it's fascinating. 
The writings of Wilson also proved to be very important to another parody religion called the Church of the Subgenius, which is built along very similar lines of Discordianism, as might be expected since they share Wilson as a major part of the formation of their ideology, often using his same works, or at least uh, they're quoting the same quotes. Now, we focused a lot on Discordian beliefs this episode, in part because their history is such a tangle of intentionally fabricated and misleading conspiracy theory nonsense. But in part, it's because understanding their beliefs is important to understanding uh, why it is they ultimately do this and spread these sort of false stories. Starting in the early days, they would do things like passing out uh, the official Pope cards we mentioned, just informing everybody they met that they were already a Pope. Um, they would send suspicious letters on Illuminati-themed stationery. And they would also hand out things like free tickets that would say, free ticket, it doesn't buy you anything, but it's free. These sorts of activities, which at the start could be called street performance or just pranks, uh, escalated over time and eventually became known by other names, evolving following the publication of the Illuminatus trilogy uh, through the 1980s and 1990s uh, into activities named either culture jamming or Operation Mind with culture jamming being the general term for these sorts of activities, Discordian or not, and Operation Mind being the blanket name that they gave these uh, largely individually thought up and carried out pranks to give them the appearance that they're connected to a broader Discordian conspiracy. Always intended as a way to criticize the assumptions and limits of people's worldviews, culture jamming itself is not a term invented by Discordians, but it's one that they quickly latched onto and began practicing. Culture jamming evolved out of French socialist protest groups like the Situationist International and relies on street art, fake advertising, and planting false stories to try and get them onto the news, other things like that which are public spectacle designed to subvert the authority of the media, government, and corporation. Again, Discordians are very hard to track, uh, and they continue with their own sort of joke-laden versions of culture jamming style pranks going throughout the 1980s. Uh, but like the founders of Discordia, the new Discordians tended to have that somewhat in the background or would adopt Discordian themes from time to time or use it as part of their inspiration. But generally they were already artists, activists, writers of some sort uh, whose activities incorporated Discordian ideas. So one example of, of the things they actually did, here's a 1980s uh, Discordian satire. It's a letter from uh, Principia Discordia writer Carrie Thornley, who in this case is posing as a reverend named Jesse Stump. And he wrote this letter to a real reverend in Atlanta, and the real reverend had been claiming that the AIDS crisis was God's punishment for the sin of homosexuality. So posing as another reverend, um, Thornley wrote him this letter, quote, Dear Reverend Stanley, as one who has long insisted motor vehicles are God's punishment for political apathy, I was struck by, by the logic of your assertion that AIDS is God's penalty for homosexuality. Since the Bible explicitly forbids cigarette smoking, lung cancer thereby must also be divine retribution for that sin. Therefore, it follows, logically, that the common colds are caused by invoking God's displeasure by living too far away from the warm climates of the Holy Land. Medical science will forever be in your debt for revealing this deep truth, that the cause of poor health is going against God's manifest systems of natural law and order. I need your help, though, in figuring out what sins cause all the other diseases, such as muscular dystrophy, infantile paralysis, and bubonic plague. What were they intended to cure? I suggest you preach a sermon on this in the near future called God's Wonderful Biological Warfare Campaign Against Sin, which I will attend and take notes. For I am in exceptionally good health, and I wish to convince all my sick friends that if, like me, they were without sin, they could insult the suffering and the less fortunate with the smug self-assurance that you and I do without fear of being smitten by smallpox. Yours for casting the first infected stone, Reverend Jesse Stone. For those who know anything about Discordia, it's obvious that this letter is just dripping with contempt and sarcasm, but for those out of the know, it could seem like he's an actual preacher responding to an extremist view with a more extremist view. 
And it's a classic example of what's now known as Poe's Law. Quote, without a clear indication of the author's intent, it's difficult or impossible to tell the difference between an expression of ex sincere extremism and a parody of extremism. Describing itself as a tribe of philosophers, theologians, magicians, scientists, artists, clowns, and similar maniacs, the always small and chaotic Discordian society truly hit its stride in the 1990s with the widespread availability of the internet. Today, almost all the important Discordian writings can be found very easily for free online, uh, thanks to the typical disdain that the authors had for copyright laws. For people with a tradition of spreading misinformation, creating and discarding false worldviews, and creating and maintaining false personas, the internet seems to be sent from Eris herself for the purpose of spreading chaos. Their views the reality as a subjective experience in which to play games and pranks has, as you might have imagined, made them very much at home among geek and gamer communities, and you can find plenty of Discordians in places like Reddit and 4chan churning out memes that you have undoubtedly seen without realizing any Discordian connection. If you want to find out more about what Discordian society has become, you can generally look at the Discordian Reddit or another Discordian-themed website. Generally, any question you ask will be met by lies, though, jokes, contradictions, pretty much anything but a straight answer. Their use of references to the Principia Discordia and their habit of using way too many acronyms creates an environment that can be extremely off-putting for outsiders, and like with their founders, Poe's Law is constantly in play, and it's very easy for Discordian on the internet to somewhat ironically take Discordia itself too seriously and, and fail to see outside that worldview. Um, as we said several times, it is always sort of in the background or mixed with other beliefs, either political or philosophical or religious. Uh, it, it tends to be present, but not this is what I believe. It's, it's here are some things that I sometimes believe is what the religion tries to be. Um, which is very strange compared to most of the groups we cover. Uh, it was definitely interesting writing this. <laughs> um, well, it's a story that really has obscure beginnings and ending points. There's no real, this is the concrete beginning, and here's the concrete board of leaders and... Yeah, you can't really follow. Here's what happened because, especially, they're, they're not you know the prophets or the the leaders or anything. They're they're just people who wrote about it sometimes, and that's really the the highest level you can aspire to be in Discordia is uh, somebody who thinks about it and uses it and adds to it. Which yeah, it it makes history hard, <laughs> and also because anything that they might be doing, um, any of the books they're writing, it may or may not be Discordian in nature. Um, and it's up to the individual to decide if they feel like it is or not at any given point. Point. So, yeah, it's fun. There's a lot going on, and you can just sort of go down the Discordia rabbit hole for as long as you feel like doing it. Um, I've been going down the Discordia rabbit hole researching this for a while, and um, you know, just going to recommend you take it easy uh, in moderation. <laughs> uh, it's definitely something that works better if you're not thinking about it all the time, because uh, it's really frustrating. And again, interacting with Discordians, uh, it, it can be really like a persona that people adopt on the internet, definitely. And it's interesting uh, to think about the ways that it impacts their actions in the day-to-day -day life versus how they act online. Now, have in because you took the primary role of doing all of the research for this topic, 
Have you encountered like any major internal tensions among Discordians? Anything that's not really. Um, again, they don't really take uh, conflict very seriously amongst themselves. Uh, yeah, it's it, there's conflict between individuals is what it seems to be. Um, politics can always divide people. Just people talking a lot. <laughs> well, on the note of politics, I don't know if you want to talk briefly about how the recent presidential election manifested okay yeah um because there's you can't really you can't tell what they did and what they just said they did i mean if yeah if you want rabbit holes this is a whole it's watership down over in here (laughs) it's um yeah if you're interested in that sort of thing that's where i think discordia is the most fun so long as you remember again as they say many many times not to take discordia itself seriously um because it's as constructed a worldview as you're supposed to view everyone else's worldview, you're supposed to view your own um, as as equally false, and again, not uh, upset the balance is the ultimate goal. Sort of before that, where there is um, hints at an objective reality, but that we focus on it too much. Discordia being an attempt to drag it to the middle, um, which again is something that I think a lot of Discordians lose sight of. And they really, as individuals, have no way of knowing a lot of the time when they've gone too far. But yeah, that's Discordia, uh, to the best of our abilities. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, I don't think I have anything other than to say thank you for listening. And if you want to keep up with all of the sex ed goings on and updates about future episodes, especially the fantastic Halloween-themed episodes we have coming up for October. Uh, You can follow us both on Facebook and Twitter at SexEd. This episode of SexEd was researched, written, produced, and presented by Michael Albaney and Patrick Reynolds, and was edited by Patrick Reynolds. SexEd is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. It was recorded at Leader the Lab for the Education and Advancement in Digital Research at Michigan State University. The views and opinions expressed by SexEd do not necessarily represent those of Michigan State University or any of its affiliates.